millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Support for 20 Minute Tims is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in below the waist. Grooming Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. <laughs> <laughs> Manscaped have just launched their fourth generation trimmer here on the table in front of me. That's right, you heard that right. The fourth generation, four iterations of this. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and we have an exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping on a Manscaped 4.0 and all the accessories you see on the table in front of me with the discount code TIMS, T-I-M-S, at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com, discount code TIMS. Now, Stephen... Melly, what did you used to use though before Manscaped came along? Because you know, yeah, it's it's twenty twenty one. You can't be walking about with a big old thatch. No, no. Previously, I used to just try and singe it off with fire. So did light you? light a match and try and singe them off that way. Like that. Totally useless. It's all about the Manscaped lawnmower four point now. And did I mention it's waterproof? There's a little light on it, so you can see all the little all the little tiny Penises, hairs. Melly, yes. there's a light on it. <laughs> Melly, you're not a large man by any manner of means. What have oh you been? no, it's wee, but it's meant to. <laughs> what what were you using before? Before Manscaped came along uh, Sunglasses and scissors It was uh, <laughs> dodgy So look Jokes aside Get 20% off Using the discount code TIMS at manscaped.com That's 20% off And free shipping At manscaped.com With our super Discount code T-I-M-S That's TIMS Unlock your confidence And always use Right tools For the job Manscaped Hello and welcome to this episode of 20 Minute Tim's Extra Time. It's a wee while since we've recorded one of those. We've not had a guest worthy of bringing it back, but we do on this occasion. I am joined by author Chaz Newkey Burden. How are we doing, Chaz? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, Chaz, you are an author of many books, um, many biographies, and the reason that we're talking to you today is because you've got the most your most recent book out, The Runner's Code. What is it about running that attracts you so much? Because I'll tell you, out of the three of us, because you're a keen runner, obviously, and that's what your 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 book's about. But out of the three of us, I just need to clear this up. Melly, who wrote something, wrote a passage for your book, he yeah. loves to run. Stephen has tried running. I can't do it. And it should be easy. But I can't do it. I get, do you get, I get bored? bored. I yeah. get bored. I get bored. I get sore. Uh, I get really miserable really quickly. And with every step I take, I think, God, I'm just one more step further from my, my warm house. Is that, yeah. is that a common complaint? Yeah, it can be because I mean, do you listen to anything when you go, or do you have do you have your headphones in and music or podcast or anything? Yeah, so I, I find it difficult to focus on podcasts or audiobooks, so it's music. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell myself here a wee bit when I want to get g'd up, I like to listen to a bit of Tool, a bit of rock music, yeah. a bit of um, anything that came through new metal. I put that on and sort of listen to a bit of that. But anytime I'm feeling stressed, I put on the La La Land soundtrack. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that and I end up just going I'm too stressed for this and I put on something with Ryan Gosling singing and then it just kills my motivation to run so is there anything in the runner's code for people who just don't like to run well yeah I mean the reason why I run is that for the runner's glow like the runner's high that they call it and so what I look into in the book is how the uh, cannabinoids which is the thing that you know smoking weed creates in your body is actually the same thing that gets released when you run 
So basically, there's a reason right there to run. If you like um, a bit of anyone who likes a bit of four to zero, um, <laughs> you can have a bit of four to zero in the morning uh, by going. Mad enough without the gear, mate. You know, once you say partially decriminalised anyway. But um... <laughs> by the way, listeners, there's going to be probably a lot of that throughout this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's inevitable. Um, and yeah, so the other thing is, is I mean, I'm with you on audiobooks. I sort of put in the book, I sort of said how you phase out of audiobooks when you're running. So like I said, if it was a novel, like a crime novel, you never find out who done it, but you keep having to rewind to restart it. So you know the first chapter off by heart. Um, but if you can really embrace that glow and sort of get that glow and get that high and then sort of enjoy it. The thing when you're starting is, is just start really, really gradually. And, you know, so you could just do like 30 seconds running, two minutes walking, 30 seconds running, two minutes walking, 30 seconds running, go home. And if you go up and down, you'll never be that far, like you said, from your home. (laughs) So you can always give up earlier and then take a couple of days off and then change the increments slightly. What tends to happen is I get messages from people sometimes and they go, oh, I've entered like the marathon and um i say right which year they go oh this year so it's in two months i go how far can you run now and they say not at all can you help me i'm like no other than trying to desperately claw your money back i can't help you (laughs) so i think it's to start slowly i think yeah because that that was a thing for me you know running is you know exercise is really great for your mental health and i know your previous book running is cheaper than therapy sort of touched on that and it, you, you feel motivated to do it. I tried to do the, the couch to 5k, but I'm always very jealous. I'm really envious when I'm out just walking about. You see these people and they're, like you say, it must be the runner's glow because they're in their stride. They look majestic. They look as if they're really powdering through the kilometres, burning off these calories. But every time I run, I just feel like my body's not made for it, you know? Mm. I mean, some people, like some bodies are more made for it than others. Um, and it's not necessarily the bodies that you'd think, as in it's not necessarily that... Uh, are sort of like, you know, sometimes I've seen guys that running at like my local park run and they are, there's no other way of putting it, they are big, fat sort of heffalumps and they are amazing <laughs> at running because a lot of it's to do with the lungs anyway and the lungs can be better inside a, you know, any sort of body. Um, There's there's apps like Couch to 5K is quite a popular one. I think there's probably a park run up near you. That can be a good there thing is, to sort of, yeah. Yeah, a couple of the boys did thing. it. I think Melly did it actually. Melly used to do the park run. I tried, I tried the Couch to 5K um, throughout lockdown, you know, when everyone had that blitz spirit and we were all baking sourdough bread and trying 5Ks and all that sort of stuff. I have done a 10K, uh, a charity 10K, but it was just one of these ones where it was a bit like you were talking about people phoning you up about marathons. It was like I booked it like mm-hmm. a year in advance, thinking, oh, I'll get some practice. And then the next thing you know, it's a month away and you just have to drag your limp body around this 10K course and get those sponsorships in. Um, I was reading a little bit on the internet about how you got started as an author and one particular publication jumped out to me because I think everybody's familiar with this. It was Shoot. Mm. I mean, that yeah. is, as a wee guy, you're, you're, you're every week you're buying Shoot magazine, you're taking the posters out, you're putting them on your bedroom. My bedroom wall was absolutely littered with Shoot and I think that's how most people got in touch with like most of the football superstars of the time. What, that must have been like a brilliant, brilliant start. It was brilliant, yeah, because I started off... Um just before then, 90 minutes, which was more of yeah. a sort of an irreverent. I mean, it was not far off in, in spirit. It was quite similar to 20 Minute Tim's, actually. But um, then that folded because that's the effect I have on magazines. I quickly <laughs> fold them when I join. And um, then I went, we, we all moved through to shoot. And it was amazing because really my job then for like best part, of, you know, two years probably was just interviewing probably roughly about four or five footballers a week. Uh, and it being shoot, of course, nobody nobody reads shoot is interested in that guy in the second division who's like got an interesting story. They just want the stars. Yeah, and so I just it. spent two years. This is like late nineties, um, just interviewing all these different big name players. I mean, the, the sort of the lowest strata of players would maybe be like a left back at Everton. That would be considered the absolute sort of low point of who you could go to. Generally, it was about the same pool of about fifteen players you know, from Liverpool, Arsenal, Man U or whatever, who we were always aiming to get. So, in fact, I mean, maybe we'll come to my Celtic story in a bit, but it was like that comes up there because that's how I first got to Celtic Park was because I went up to interview uh, Simon, Simon Donnelly. Donnelly. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was so that was quite a day, but I'll hold that back for the Celtic bit. But, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I remember um, I used to go to Arsenal. This must have been the height of the Premier League coming through, wasn't it? Like the Liverpool, yeah. the Space Boys and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it was exactly then. And I remember like I interviewed Beckham quite a few times, um, Shearer, um 
Ian Wright. I mean, I generally used to just try and interview the players who I wanted to meet. And, um, you know, whoever they played for, I'd always sort of... Um, I've always liked players from all teams. I mean, maybe I'd draw the line at, you know, at the hands. But it's like, you know, <laughs> generally speaking, I'm just like, I like... You know, the footballers who I wanted to meet were generally the ones who I just found interesting. And so it was Beckham quite a few times, Roy Keane a lot of times. Wow. And he was just unreal to interview. I remember the first time I turned up, when he walked into the room, he was everything I feared he would be. He was openly, completely, not even grumpy, like hostile and potentially aggressive. It was when he was on that long layout. Do you remember when he tried to end Alfie and Gaharlan's yeah. life? And um he and he came in and he was openly I mean the most hostile interviewee I'd ever had and obviously these so were, they, were they put up by the club did they was it like an obligation that they had to this do? generally got them through kit sponsors so right. this was through uh god I can't even remember what the De- Deodora I think it was called and they would have like players and part of their deal with their you know sponsoring their boots would be they'd have to do a certain amount of interviews a year right so he'd know he sort of had to do it but he would have no sort of pleasure about it and I've always worked well kind of with people who are more reluctant. Like your happy interviewees, I generally didn't always get on well with because I sort of thought, why are you so keen to talk to me? Whereas the ones who were like really grumpy, I thought I can only take it up. And he was, by the end, he was amazing, totally open. In fact, he was so open, Shoot couldn't inter- couldn't publish about 70% well, of what he well. told me because it was just too much for a young readership. It was. It's quite interesting because things like Shoot, and we'll talk a, a wee bit more about your career, but like, it's it's so cliche to say oh, social media didn't exist back then, but that was the what there was there was no internet, there was no social mm. media. This was the place to find out what was happening with your footballs. Obviously, there was like football Italia on TV, and, and what was that? I've I've completely escaped my mind. There was shooting the other one match, match. That's mm. right. And, and and but this was it. This is how you stayed in touch with what was happening. So I can imagine when footballers, like you say, when the the sponsorship deals and the brands wanted to get their footballers into these magazines. It's the equivalent to, you know, brands working with Instagram influencers and making sure their players have got these massive social media followings now. That's right. That's right. And it was amazing, actually, the banter or the rivalry between us and Match because Match, I make no bones about it, sold many more copies and Shoot did, but we got paid much, much more, all the staff at Shoot, and that was sort of very known. So whenever we turned up to press events, you know, they'd be quoting their... um you know, their circulation figures at shoot writers and shoot writers would be uh, just quoting the salaries back at them. <laughs> so it was a bit like, you know, it's probably equivalent to like in the football world. But um, yeah, I, oh, I loved it. And I mean, you know, you can't really do better. I remember one trip in particular, I went up to Manchester and spent like two days with the Jamaican team who were known as the reggae boys at the time and just going around on the bus with them around Manchester. And then someone said, oh, what are you doing now? I said, oh, I'm going home. I'm just interviewing Beckham on the way home. And it was in that moment where someone said to me, oh, just casually interviewing Beckham on the way home. And it's like it'd become that sort of normal. Um, Shearer, I remember, was very, very funny because Shearer used to give you absolutely nothing. If you sat down and went, oh, Alan, it's Tuesday today, he'd say, you said that, not B, don't quote me on that. (laughs) All all days are valid. And if you asked him anything about England, he'd say, if selected for the next match, this was when he was, you know, the heart and, you know, the man for the England team, he'd still say selected. But what I found was, if you caught his eye during the interview, you could make him laugh. And I did used to like doing that because I knew as he sat there and put up this front, I, I didn't take it personally at all. And I just thought inside there's obviously someone who likes to laugh. So the more evasive he got, I would just do a very slight smirk and look straight at him as he did it. And of course, he couldn't he couldn't keep his uh, face straight at that point. That's the game. It was kind of like the game. It's it's quite difficult because obviously podcasts now are really popular and they've kind of taken over and YouTube channels are kind of taking over podcasts a wee bit in terms of popularity. But it's quite difficult to explain to someone much younger how culturally, culturally significant magazines were as, mm. as you were growing up. You know, this is how you stayed in touch with the cultures that you were interested in for the most part and obviously fanzines and stuff which you've, which you've spoken about before. And just reading about the the magazines that you worked in, you kind of followed my sort of um, adolescence. So you went from shoot, as you were saying, then you ended up working for Loaded Magazine, which is one of these lad mags. And just looking back to that sort of thing now, like you could never imagine that that culture's almost completely disappeared. You know, obviously yeah. it had its issues, and looking back, it's problematic. And the way that you know the the way that it approached the topics of women and all that sort of stuff, it definitely was looking back. You couldn't get away with it now, but that's that's completely disappeared. What were your sort of memories working for Loaded and looking back? How do you how do you view those sorts of things now? Well, the best story I can say about how it was like to work at Loaded was they initially just sent me out to do their football interviews because that was kind of like my my niche there, and 
At shoot, you had to put. It, they were great days at shoot, but you also had to put up with a lot of nonsense from agents and from PRs because you couldn't tell them where to go. Basically, you, when they started having their demands, you had to sort of go along with it. And the one of the first interviews, football interviews, uh, loaded sent me out to do was up at. Um, it was up at Ellen Road, and it was four or five England players just before Euro two thousand, and. It was so, I think, Burton suits. So they're all from like different clubs. There was um, Kieran Dyer, Phil Neville, I can't remember, Kevin Phillips and Emil Heskey. Now, towards the end of the day, I already knew Phil Neville pretty well from the shoot days. So we got on quite well and I got on well with the others. But then um, I saw Heskey turn up with some sort of agent and the agent came bursting into the room, left Heskey in the car park and came in and tried to do the heavy on me. He said, I know what you loaded boys are like. You're going to try and stitch my man up. You're not going to stitch my man up. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you do a loaded job on my this or that. He goes, if you're not, if you, if you're going to muck my, my play around, it's probably better that we cancel it. And obviously he was bluffing it all. And yeah. because it was loaded and not shoot, I was able to just go, yeah, I think we should. And he was, <laughs> I said, yeah, I think we should cancel it. And he was like, no, 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 we don't. I said, no, no, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't. Emil doesn't. He was all, oh, Emil doesn't need to be disrespected. We should cancel it. So I was like, no, you're right. Emil does not need to be disrespected. We'll cancel it. And he actually had to go out into the car park. And I, I watched from the toilet window as he explained to Emil Heskey that he had to go back to Leicester because he'd blown it because he tried to do it. And it was nice. I rang up the loaded office and I said, hi, brother, I'm wrong. They said, you did the perfect thing and put that in the story and all that. But basically this Brilliant. man tried to do it. So that was nice. It was kind of uh, problematic. I remember interviewing Jenna Jameson, who's like um, uh, the porn sort of actress. And when I sort of look back on it now, it just always feels not so much from a puritanical point of view, but I remember sort of saying, you know, having to ask her things like, you know, what's your favourite fantasy? And she was saying, oh, I like sort of lonely, ugly teenage boys. Or in other words, she was saying like the people who read Loaded and all that. And Offensive. there were times where I sat there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I felt I felt seen. But um, <laughs> but I do remember sitting there and thinking this was not... Because when I grew up, I wanted to be like the next Paul Foote or Chris Mullen. I wanted to be a fearless investigative journalist, like <laughs> uncovering injustice. Instead, I was uncovering Jenna Jameson. I know. It was because, I mean, these Loaded and FHM, I look back on it somewhat... You know, you look back at the things you do when you were younger and it's all a bit cringeworthy, but, you know, you have to go through these sort of cringeworthy phases and loaded in FHM magazines. Like, I used to buy them. Never mm. read them. Never read them. You know, you didn't really, because I was too young for them. They were just, but it was just cool to have them in your bedroom when your mates came around. You go, I've got the yeah. latest FHM there. I, I can't afford any of the clothes in here. I can't afford any of the cars. I don't listen to any of the music and I'll never meet any of the women, but it's just cool to have these sorts of magazines about about you and obviously that culture you grow up and you go through it and it's it's disappeared now but it's it's such an alien concept the sort of lad culture it's such an alien concept that's completely disappeared from our sort of cultural environment hasn't it mm. and i mean you know there was one actually thing that's probably worth um touching on because um i was the editor of a website called icons.com between 2000 and 2002 now what we did was it was almost like a forerunner to social media we ran the official home pages for football for certain footballers so we'd like do a deal the company would do a deal that they would host that player's official website and that this theoretically would give that player an independent voice like they didn't need to go through the club media and they didn't need to go through the media so they didn't need to go yeah. to newspapers magazines they could talk through their own website and obviously they all needed like ghostwriters because we were updating these websites on almost a daily basis so Henrik uh, had a website there I didn't I I was not in charge of his website and um, he got a assigned a journalist very quickly and um but that guy obviously just had nothing but amazing things to say about what it was I did um but I did do one um he uh Celtic player although he wasn't at Celtic at the time I did pa- of all people Paolo De Canio's wow. now <laughs> when they told me as editor that I also did um Burkamp and Overmars and Grimondi at Arsenal but wow. when they told me that De Canio who did you get to a- meet these guys Oh, sort of male, all the time, you? all the wow. time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was like my job, like for two years, was to, on any given day. I mean, Overmars by this time he moved to Barcelona soon after, so we'd only talk on the phone. I only met him once. But Gomondi, Gilles Gomondi, you remember with the with the Afroy hair? He used to yeah. come by the office all the time. Wow. Um, I used to meet Dennis uh, Burkamp about once a month, and would speak on the phone a few times. There. Oh, and the stories are unreal. I will tell you one. Um, 
the rule with Dennis, he was really, really cooperative. Everyone said he wouldn't be, but we kind of weirdly hit it off. But he had certain rules. So it'd be like, never phone on a match day, never phone in the evening, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to phone between two and three, but not on a weekday or a weekend or a match day. So I always kept to that. When Arsenal won the double at Old Trafford in 2002, I got completely, like, utterly sort of wasted. And... um I mean, I was completely gone. And about one in the morning, I long story short, I drunk dialed uh, Dennis Birkin <laughs> <laughs> because everything in my head was telling me not to, but all the booze in my belly was telling me to. And I'll never forget the moment he answered, I went and just sobered up in an instant. Wow. And I thought, I have lost my job. But it was the opposite. What had happened was all of the squad had flown down from Old Trafford to, well, from Manchester to London to celebrate winning a double. And of course, he didn't fly. So he was in the back of a car with the driver who spoke neither Dutch nor English. All his friends and his wife, he said, he'd rung them and they'd all said, oh, you know, Dennis, you win trophies all the time. We can't just talk. And then suddenly he has drunk Chaz on the phone (laughs) at one in the morning outside a kebab shop. And he just said, please talk to me. And I ended up talking to him for about an hour. And I definitely would have told him I loved him because that's what I do or why I don't drink anymore when I did. (laughs) But Paolo was another, uh, totally another case. He was every bit as crazy and infuriating and everything I thought he'd be, but times a million. Now, his politics are kind of beyond problematic, but I remember the day after 9-11, I sort of, because I was also the editor of the overall site, so I briefed all the journalists and I said, listen, when you do your update with your player today, obviously it'll be mostly about this weekend's matches, but see if you can get something from them, even if it's just a generic thing at the end of the post. Oh, the canny on 9-11. I can't, yeah, I can't well, wait to hear this. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the thing. I rung him up and um, he said, uh, we talked about the forthcoming West Ham match. And then I said, uh, also, Paolo, I thought it'd be nice, you know, if you could, if we could include something on your page today about, you know, what happened in America yesterday. And he said, um, okay, have you got have you got your, your tape running on your notebook? I said, yeah. He said, okay, this is what I want to say. And about 20 minutes later, he finished a manifesto that made George W. Bush look like Gandhi, basically. <laughs> and um, but I mean, you know, I will take I will say this for him. It was a horrific manifesto. It was a horrific response. But I'll say a few things about it. Number one, Did it go he up? knew his no, no, no. He knew his stuff inside out i'd watch news night the night before i'd read all the sort of highbrow papers in the way in because i was crapping myself about the future of the world and nobody was commentating on it with the knowledge at that stage that paolo did it took about another week until even news night were up to speed with his wow. knowledge of you know militant islam and and the middle east that's point one so his his approach was horrific, but it was from a he'd obviously spent a lot of many years yeah. studying all this, which is kind of worrying in itself. The other thing is, is that a text, I was on the landline at the office, but a text blew up on my phone um, about one minute into this talk from his agent. I'm sitting next to Paolo and not a word of this goes on his website <laughs> or you're in trouble. <laughs> but I've still got the tape somewhere. And um, yeah, he was hilarious. I used to go around to his house and I used to take like the, the emails because we used to get emails sent in. Like there was an actual page on it, like email Paolo, which yeah. was ostensibly you could actually email him direct. With In a lot of the cases, the players never saw these emails, if I'm honest. But in his case, he used to say, bring some along. And he'd say, bring some nice ones along and bring some funny ones along. So I used to bring along like, you know, Pat Butcher who was on EastEnders? Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of women who looked like her, who were West Ham fans, who used to send him massively, massively explicit suggestions and emails. <laughs> and he used to sit there. He used to say, I told him about these. He said, OK, print all those off and bring them when you come to my house. So I'd bring them all over. And all I can say is the less desirable the senders were, the more explicit the suggestions. And there were some that I literally looked at and I thought, do you know what? Maybe I am a Victorian because I'm appalled by some of these suggestions. And he used to sit there crying with laughter, reading them. And those were some of the best afternoons, sitting in Paolo's house while he laughs at (laughs) at explicit... Sort of fan mail, the sort of uh, yeah. It's the, the, again, just referring back, it's the equivalent of sliding into the DMs, isn't it? Yeah, you send, is, yeah. You, yeah. Send, you send them the, ex, the explicit email. You've really came through like the zeitgeist of a lot of this stuff, you know, the shoot, the loaded, then moving into later on, you're talking about, you know, even the even the ideas now of 
footballers having their own personal websites seems a wee bit antiquated, you know? I don't even know mm. if footballers do now, um, sort of moving through beyond that. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I can't go any further though without picking up on something else that I read about you that you'd you managed to interview a man who is hugely influential on all the jokes that we make in our podcast. Um, it's a disgrace to think they're like the, all these jokes are like twenty years old now, almost. Mm. You know that they're all, they're all dated. That it's Ricky Gervais, obviously. Anyone who watches the now, how old do they look? <laughs> anyone, anyone that listens to the the podcast and has watched the office is well aware that every opportunity we get we just shoehorn in some mm. hacky office reference but we, we can't help it we can't help it because it, again it was so um fundamental and sort of creating our sense of humor and that when that came out we just hit at just the right age and some things just hit at the right age you know shoot hit at the right age loaded hit at the right age and then you know that the office came about how did you end up interviewing ricky gervais that was when I worked at the at the Big Issue magazine, and um, yeah, the um, various sort of names would get sort of, you know, dangled uh, uh, into the mags. You know, you know, did we want to interview them? And when it was him, I was like straight away, yeah, I wanted to because I was. This was Office was already out, all of the Office, but Extras I think was about to come out. Uh, um, but it was actually to promote, I think, a film he was in. But obviously, all I wanted to really talk, I just wanted to meet him, and I wanted to talk about the Office now. It was amazing. I'll be honest. At the time, I had enormous respect for his work. But going into that interview, I found him annoying because I used to see him on like Jonathan Ross. And he just seemed so kind of smug. And he'd do those big explosions of sort of laughter. And yeah. him and Jonathan Ross were always a bit, you know, it was always... Chummy, a, that annoying yeah. chummy way. Yeah. There was that joke where it was, it was on a sketch show or something. And like every three scenes on this sketch show, it would be Jonathan Ross saying... And on this week's show, Mr. Wiki Gervais, because he used to be on so often. Um, and also, I used to watch him on the, uh, out, not the outtakes, but like the the extras, the, the not extras, but the extras oh, the on DVD the Office extras. DVD. Yeah. And he was always a little bit kind of annoying like that. Uh, and I met him. Did you and, ever watch him on the 11 o'clock show? Do you remember when he was know, on the 11 o'clock No. No, yeah, I remember, mate, that's when I first came across Ricky Gervais. He was on the 11 o'clock show with Ian Lee and what was that girl's name? I can't, I can't remember. She's really, she's a famous female comedian. But that's when I first came across Ricky Gervais on the 11 o'clock show and they had like Ali G on it mm. and stuff like that. You know, that's I think where he came through as well. And then when he started The Office, that's 
sort of, I was like, oh God, that's that guy for the 11 o'clock show. I don't know how I discovered The Office, just on TV one day and I absolutely fell in love with it. But anyway, sorry. I yeah, no, cool. um, so he, he, I loved him when I met him. He is, the, of everybody I interviewed, I've interviewed probably, I've counted up over 100 footballers slash football managers and then many dozens of kind of pop singers and actors and so forth. Of all of them, he's the one who surprised me most and absolutely stunned me. Really, really nice. Massively self-aware, whereas his public persona at that time was almost to pretend to be unself-aware. He had that yeah. sort of, almost like a hangover of that sort of mid-90s overconfidence that Oasis and Robbie Williams kind of used to display in interviews. And then suddenly, you know how all celebs suddenly got that like that? Yeah. And some could pull it off, like Liam and Noel and even Robbie, to be fair to him, could pull it off. A lot of people couldn't. Um, he was really, really nice, but there were a few funny moments. I remember at one point, um, he said something which, as you know, from your show week in, week out, it just, it needed the office line to be. So I said the office line, I can't remember the exact context, but it's like, it brought up an office line, something he said in one of the answers. And then he said the next line. Then I said the next line. Then he said the next line after that and he got it wrong, but he didn't know he'd got it wrong. And I corrected him on his own line. And I forgot in that moment when I went, no, no, it doesn't go like that. And I corrected him and I said, stop getting the office wrong or some joke <laughs> like that. And then suddenly it dawned on both of us the ridiculousness of this, that he was the man who wrote it and I was sitting there rudely correcting him and we both burst out laughing. And then at the end, oh, I made such a prat of myself. But at the end, he, I was talking to him as I left and I just wanted to say to him like how much it meant. And I said, I really, really enjoyed meeting you. And I think I said something like, you, you know, you weren't, how I expect he said oh I come across as a complete twat on interviews don't I and I was like that wasn't quite what I was gonna say he said no no I know what you mean he said when I'm on tv he said I come across really bad I said look whatever you do that I said I've really enjoyed meeting you and I just said I was really into the Christmas special at that point I found the Christmas special with the office and I started talking to him about it <laughs> I started having tears of eyes because I love the program so much and I couldn't believe I was getting to tell the man who wrote it um yeah. Because it's different when it's in an interview. There's a great thing about when you bump into someone in the street. That's always really nice. But when you're in an interview, I don't know, it gives you that kind of extra thing of you are already talking to them. So you yeah. don't, if you got someone in the street or in a bar, you, you think I might just have one minute to tell them what I think. And then you get nervous and you sort of, and you don't know whether they really want to hear it. I mean, he might not have done anyway, but yeah, he was really, he was very nice. And that was definitely one of the highlights of, um, thing but the funny thing is i remember he he mentioned extras to me during the interview and when he described it to me i came very close to saying that sounds shit because the thing is <laughs> i think it stands really close to the office like yeah i get i get hammered it took for me this, a while but, it yeah. took me a while to get into it like i watched it when it first came out and i thought god this isn't good this isn't good but then i sort of revisited it again all right i need to give it another chance and it, it's great and, uh, you know, a it's, lot of the office and extras is filmed, was filmed around here. Not just, I mean, the office, because I live near Slough, but a lot of extras wasn't. Um, I have to tell you, there was about, it was around June, I ran over to Uxbridge, went to two extras filming locations, took pictures of myself then, ran home listening to the 20-minute Tim's Friday phone-in, and you guys <laughs> answered a question from me. And I remember, and I saw some cows on the way home, and I thought this might be the best run I've had. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, we do these interviews on the podcast, and we've had sort of you've been an I've never interviewed an expert interviewer before, but you know we just wing it. But that nervousness you're talking about, like it's it's I find it so difficult sometimes when you're interviewing, especially like we've had Chris Sutton on the podcast, mm. and it takes you like well, it takes me like twenty minutes, half an hour to not be nervous and mm. just build up a report because just like. You're like Christ, this is Chris Sutton I'm talking to. You know, you're like Jesus yeah. God. You know, I suppose it's a bit different because you're a you're a professional and I'm winging it. You know, that's <laughs> well, that, that's the difference. Well, but I'm it, lucky that I started so young, so I think I just didn't have like when I was young, I just took it for granted. It was like I one my first job, proper job, involved as I said, at, it, which was at shoot, as you said, like constantly going around being you know, driven and, you know, getting planes up to Manchester to and all that. And I think there was a part of me at that age who was like, yeah, of course I'm doing this. Whereas, of course, if nowadays if someone said to me, do you want to fly up to sort of Manchester to interview, I don't know, you know, Ronaldo or Marcus Rashford or someone, I think I'd be absolutely bricking. I'd be like, me? Why me? But when you're young, you don't have that sort of self-doubt. And I think that served me well at the time. And the other thing is, is that because I looked at that stage very young for my age, like I think I was around, 
early 20s when I was doing it, but I looked about 15, like literally. By the way, can I just say, you still do. I was, Thank you. I, I, I only found out what age you were when I looked up your Wikipedia and I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, part, well, <laughs> maybe as much for the immature humour on Twitter, but um, <laughs> the, uh, and the endless fangirling of 20-minute Tims. But um, <laughs> they... Um, I think that helped me with footballers because I used to go along to like these press days where they'd be maybe be doing three or four interviews and I'd I'd often be able to hear the interview before and you know no disrespect well actually lots of disrespect to the journalists but you get these sort of fat fifty something wheezing men nothing wrong with being fat fifty something and wheezing but then when you sit down with a twenty one year old professional athlete and you go oh, I don't think your fitness has been very good this season he's yeah. obviously going to think you're a dick. Now, for a start, I was there for shoot. So all I was really saying was, you know, do you prefer free kicks or corners? Let's be honest, right? It was not big stuff. And they like answering stuff Favourite like film, favourite pre-match <laughs> meal, you know, that, that exactly, quiz. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, I remember like, yeah, it was, yeah, there was that one focus on. And I yeah. remember um, one time I got time with, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been, it might have been Burkamp, but this was before I knew Dennis. So this is before the web. So I sat down and I did the normal shoot front cover interview with him. And then I did a focus on. And I remember that became legendary around the office because what we used to use focus on, focus on for people who didn't read shoot was like a Q&A at the back, which was exactly yeah. what you just said. Favorite pizza, favorite singer, who would you marry, blah, blah, blah. Um, favorite color. And I did one of those with Dennis and it just became legendary around the office because we used to use this for the small players that we got access to. So the idea was you'd get like a small player, you'd do a focus on, and nobody could believe that I did a focus on with Dennis Burke. <laughs> but I asked Dennis Burkamp what his favourite colour was. But, you know, he liked it. Uh, well, uh, well like, these were always, they're always interesting to look back on because you look back at and the music taste has always had it. Footballers' yeah. music taste is typically really bad. You know, yeah. it's typically quite poor. But when you look back, they always do their rounds on Twitter, like Charlie Nicholas focus on. Who's your favourite band? And it's always someone absolutely horrendous from the 90s. Um, Steve Coogan, you interviewed him as well. I Were you close to him? Did you, was this over the phone or in the same room? The reason I ask is because a friend of mine was waiting to check into a hotel and they were stood behind Steve Coogan and the only takeaway they had from that encounter was they said he smelled rich. Oh, right, yeah. No, no, well, what happened was this was one of the weirdest sort of interview stories I've got, which is, uh, um, or just the Was this before or after he went super Hollywood? Because there was a period in Steve Coogan's career, wasn't there? When he was mm. doing Alan Partridge and all that sort of stuff, I think he was like normal British TV guy. But yeah, there was, was a before, period of time yeah. when he went mega Hollywood for a bit. Yeah, it's before Hollywood. What happened was he bought out a book as Pauline Calf. He bought out a Pauline Calf book, basically, like you know, right. just a Christmas. This was a character he he used to do. Previously. Yeah, yeah, like a, she was like a, a Mancunian, um, and her her phrase about everything was "I've had him, I've had him." And he, she'd talk about men. She go, oh, "I've had him, I've had him," and she had a right. a male auto ego called Paul Calf, who was like this sort of sort of you know pissed. Is this up the Mancunian the mullet guy. and the paint in the yeah, hand and the him, cigarette? Yeah. yeah, I've seen that. And yeah. so he she bought out the Pauline Calf book and we kept applying from 90 minutes. This is before shoot. We kept saying, can we get interview time? And they kept saying yes and then cancelling it. And it was just one of those PR things. Obviously the PR was a bit disorganized or was getting better offers and was shunting us out of the QA. So what we did was we found out he was doing like a a, a signing. So I don't know why, like, because we didn't normally do this sort of like hijacking things, but we went along. I went along with a photographer. So we sort of queued up as if we were just there to get the book signed. And then when we sat, when I got to the signing table, um, yeah, we, we the, the photographer just jumped, took a picture of us together. I had unveiled a Man City scarf because like Pauline Carl's a Man City fan. And then I said, um, I just asked... Paul, he was dressed up as Pauline Calf, and I just said, you know, what do you think of Alex Ferguson to feed the line to him for her to say, her slash him to say, I've shagged him. And she said, I've shagged him. And I said, thanks for the interview for 90 minutes. Uh, could we do a photo? And they did the photo. And just as I left, he just whispered in me, you cheeky bastard. <laughs> the Wikipedia had something else that was quite interesting for me. And before we get to Celtic stuff, I cannot do a Celtic podcast and not bring up the fact that you were subject to a complaint from royalty was this is this real because i know a lot of stuff on the yeah. wikipedia is incorrect but it said that in 2005 prince charles complained to the big issue about an article Chaz had written comparing prince william to an antelope so i think we need the comparison first and then the, the complaint and how what does a complaint from prince charles does it come on come from his lawyer does it come from his personal office does it come from him, him himself how does that work well yeah i wrote this yeah i wrote like a profile of um i used to write the profile at the back of the mag called the big name and i used to go massively pro or massively anti whoever I was profiling I never wrote anything in between and I tended to try and go the way that people weren't expecting 
So, like, I wrote one about, I think it was either Jordan or Sharon Osbourne and, like, built her up as some sort of messiah. And so when it was uh, Prince William, I just went mega bitchy. Um, and I thought, I mean, he does have that sort of equine look to him. I don't know. In He was going yeah. off to Kenya to do some sort of volunteering uh, somewhere, and I put something like, let's hope he doesn't get mistaken for an antelope and shot. And I think it was the shot bit that annoyed his dad. And... Um, I'm yeah. amazed that Prince Charles reads a big issue. Do you think he picks it up outside the local? Well, I think that the or? big issue foundation, which is a charity, was very close to one of his charities or something, and so this complaint came through that um, you know he didn't want to see anything like that again, or you know some sort of ties maybe reconsidered or something. And what was quite funny was the the owner of the big issue, the founder rather, John Bird. He came into the office one day and he had absolutely no clue that the person who wrote the article he was ranting about was in the room. He was literally perched on the side of my desk and he was effing and blinding and doing everything and going, and, and I was just nodding along like, yeah, yeah, Sam, yeah whoever it is. Like, like a dick. Yeah, we can't get him to write for us again. <laughs> but it got worse. We got so many letters and stuff. And what clearly was going on, there must have been some sort of email list or something right. because um, suddenly a month later, suddenly one week, we get tons of letters. And then an old woman turned up downstairs and like was waving a, an umbrella in my face, like menacingly, like a rolled up umbrella. Well, and, um, uh, yeah, wait till the Rangers fans get hold of this. It'll all start, it'll start all over again. Um, so w- the reason I've got you on, obviously, is one to talk about your book, and two to talk about the fact that you're a Celtic fan. This is a Celtic podcast, and your journey to becoming a Celtic fan was a really, really interesting one because it started through the the Birmingham Six. Mm. It's sort of tangentially. Yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of an odd story. So basically, 1979, I watched my first football match. And so, you know, that was Arsenal v Man United. Really dramatic ending, you know, became a uh, an Arsenal fan, went to Arsenal. That should be the end of the story. But what happened was, 10 years later, when I was about um, 15, 16, I bought uh, a Pogues album, um, their third album. Um, well, I bought all their albums, but their third album had the song in it, The Birmingham Six about the Birmingham Six and the Guildford Four. Um, I doubt there's anyone listening to this podcast who doesn't know who they are, but they were some Irishmen who were, uh, and an English woman who were framed for pub bombings. And there was a long campaign and they got cleared, as I'm pretty sure everyone knows. And um, But when I heard that song, I got involved with the Birmingham Six campaign. So that was like my student years were spent campaigning for Birmingham Six, the Winston Silcott, the Bridgewater Four, all these different cases. But the Birmingham Six was like the, the real heart of it. And I ended up like, you know, we'd travel around to visit them in prison, do vigils, lobby people. So we spent a lot of time traveling and I fell in with this pair of Celtic fans. And Jesus, I mean, you might think you end up talking a lot about Celtic because of A, your passion and B, your podcast. You you hardly mention Celtic compared to these people. Um, they just were Celtic this, Celtic that. I mean, the fact that I was sitting there and at the beginning, I didn't know what they were talking about because I didn't follow Celtic. I followed football, but not Celtic. And um, I sat there listening and I just loved it. I just loved listening. I'd never heard people speak about football in quite this way. I'd heard countless passionate fans. So I started looking out for Celtic score at the weekend because I just thought, oh, I want to think that they're happy. And, you know, I'd hear Lisbon Lions, Paul McStay, all these sort of things, that these names that, I would soon learn sort of what they meant. And then when I started sort of, um, I think I bought a book or a video. No, it was a video, like a Celtic history video. And I watched that and I just remember just thinking, just completely falling in love and just going, this is this is it. This is the real deal. Like, this is what I want. And this is, you know. And so I sort of, um, I'll always remember, I wrote to the fanzines and I think to the Celtic view as well. And because obviously this is pre digital era and all that so i wrote i, I love this by the way I, I know what you're going to say and i thought this was just this is yeah, great it was it, this was another sort of key moment so i sort of wrote and just said look can anyone like tape celtic matches and highlights for me and post me i'll post you the tapes and all that and <laughs> i would just get bombarded and this was when i realized that the celtic fans you know was so special because i would just get bombarded with videos like, i didn't need to send my vhs's up people were just like you want to watch celtic and you can't watch them we'll help you so i'd get all these videos landing on my doormat from uh mostly from Glasgow and, and Northern Ireland. My mum would, would sort of call up and say, there's some more packages from Northern Ireland for you. <laughs> and um, I remember the St. Patrick's Day Massacre, like my favourite football match still to this day. And um, I used to watch that over and over, just watching Herlock and Walters and um, Hately get sent off, Caitlin, especially yeah, Hately, yeah. because when you watch, it's on YouTube, when you watch Hately get sent off, there's a guy in the main stand 
and he just catches Haley's eye. You watch him, he's focusing on catching his eye and then he just does the hand movement. <laughs> and it's yeah. just absolutely perfect. And I think Haley blows him a kiss oh. or something. The whole match was hilarious and brilliant. And I still watch it like if everyone in if everyone down or whatever, I just watch a bit of St. Patrick's Day Massacre and it makes me laugh again. Especially Herlock. I mean, what a guy. Um <laughs> what the, the archetype of, of yeah. Hondism, Terry Herlock. So I never though went up though, but for two reasons. One, because at that stage I was I was a kid. I couldn't really like just afford to like go to you know to Glasgow, you know, um for any reason, let alone a match. Uh, and the other reason, if I'm honest, was <laughs> And it seems so stupid going back, you know, looking back, but I just, I just thought I'll just get my head kicked in. <laughs> uh, they'll hear my voice and I'll just get my head kicked in. And so I never went, but I just sort of followed. I subscribed to all the fanzines. I, I'd get these videos. I'd sort of follow it all, but it sort of felt really sad that I never went. And then the first time, as I alluded to earlier, was mid to late nineties. I went to interview Simon Donnelly and this was, you very rarely interviewed players in their grounds in those days. They'd normally be in a hotel or the training ground, but that time it was in Celtic Park, sat in a changing room and I interviewed him. And then afterwards I said, Oh, can I walk around? And they said, no, no, you can't walk around. And I said, Oh, please. And they said, Oh yeah, go on then. And I remember my legs nearly went like when I was in there, obviously I ran onto the pitch, even though I'd been told not to. Um, and, but there was no match. It was just walking around an empty Celtic Park. And, um, so meanwhile, it's, a, it's an unbelievable sight, isn't it? Like, yeah. I don't know if this is just as a as a Celtic fan, because I've been to lots of other grounds. I've been to Old Trafford, and that's kind of the same. But mm. I'll never forget the first time I went to Celtic Park um, for a for a Rangers game in particular, mm. and it's just you. you I, I can so distinctly remember coming out of the the staircase. Out, it's not the tunnel, but you know what I mean. Out of the sort of stairwell, and you just get this wall of Rangers fans, mm. and they're all doing their bit, and all the noise coming for the Celtic fans. And you just think, so you, even just being part of that that park, you think, God, this is what I've watched on TV so long. This is like the myth, but yeah. it's in front of me now, and it's you know, it's it's just it sort of stays with you for a long, long time. I've 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 been I've been lucky enough to be on the Celtic Park pitch myself and Melly and Stephen actually got to play in a charity game a couple of years ago. It was like a Lisbon Lions thing. Unfortunately, we had to be on the Inter Milan team, so we get Inter Milan strips, and we we're playing a group of guys that were in Celtic strips, and you just you just can't believe it. Like you can, I, I've I've got the pictures on my phone and I look back at them all the time. You know that you're just like, I actually, actually did I actually do that? And then you're fuck, I, yeah, that, that's unbelievable. That is, I mean, that is a dream. I mean, despite the kit, you know, who who, yeah. you know, <laughs> that that's that's as, as, that is a detail. But you know, to get that sort of far and yeah, to 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 interview, yeah, to interview Simon Donnelly and and just to walk around the grounds and all that. You know, considering that this must have been the. I'm going to guess about 96, 97. So I'd been sort of obsessed with Celtic at that stage since about 89. And it was right. just absolutely, absolutely unreal. And it, it sort of felt really sad in a way that it wasn't a match, but also really exciting because obviously you do feel special. Like you said, if you go there on a non-match day and, you know, you're there, I was there for work sort of thing. And I remember, I couldn't believe how, I mean, obviously this was post-redevelopment, but I couldn't believe how high it went. I remember I'd, I'd never thought, I'd never sort of felt that, um, sense that on the telly. And um, Simon Donnelly, just briefly on the runner's code book, he's actually written a piece, as you know, Melly has as well as you know. And yeah. he's, Simon Donnelly's written a piece as well. And what was funny was I worked out it was, I think, exactly 20 years on or something wow. that I interviewed him. So I DM, I tweeted him that day, so I'll speak to you in another 20 years then. <laughs> and, um, that, at which stage he'll probably still look really great and my decline would have uh, continued. But um, It must be the running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> running, yogurt, breathing, vegan diet. Yeah, vegan donor for dindids. But um, anyway, so eventually I... I Arsenal kind of... this. I, I describe myself now as a recovering Arsenal fan, as in the social engineering of the new fan base, the moving to a new ground, just, I, 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 I would just end up crying if I talk about it. But what happened to that club is just It's terrible. so cliched. It's so cliched when you hear, you know, people, when they talk about the English Football League, uh, particularly the Premier League, rather, it sounds a bit cliched. It sounds a bit bitter when you hear Scottish football fans coming, coming out with it. But there is a degree of truth. It's, it's, it's like Hollywood now. It's kind of like for mm. tourists and... Yeah. Every every club seems really intent in sort of flushing out the history and the fan base. They sort of pay homage to the history and all that, but they don't really, mm. you know, they don't really, they don't want to really carry on. And that's one thing that that is so good about being a Celtic fan, you know, that, that it's it's carried through. You know, the fan culture, the history of the club, we hold on to that. 
And it's 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 one thing that I, I would really, really hate to lose. Like you say, you, you see it with Arsenal when they left Highbury. Man U, when it's been sold, all these different owners, Man City are just, they're like, it's like Man City, Newcastle now, they're almost like franchises mm. as opposed to proper football clubs. Yeah, what really differs, differentiates these clubs anymore compared to 10, 20 years ago? Very little. And Newcastle will go down that same route. I remember Man City. I mean, this is this. Is, there's a danger of sounding sort of condescending at this point. But what I mean is I remember the thing I loved about Man City was, and I always used to say this about Man City fans, was I remember at Arsenal once, uh, Man City were 3-0 down. With two minutes to go, they pulled one back. And the crowd, the Man City end stood up. Come on, City, come on, City. As if, you know giving them that will, like, you could win this still. Obviously, they're not going to win yeah. it in two minutes. Other fan bases would have walked home anyway at that point or would have left and gone back to the coach. And I loved that about, you know, that was a distinct thing about City. But when I look at it now, they're all so much of muchness. And I can't tell you how much that they did do exactly what you just said. They just drained the identity away. They changed the club, the badge, which is a big thing. They moved the ground. That was awful. That was really, really painful. And they did it on a lie. They said, we're going to do this in order that we can compete with Barcelona and all this sort of stuff. And the club actually declined massively in stature and in results after after they left. In fact, still have. It's like they've never, ever come back to what they were at at the point they left Highbury. Um, I sort of continued going a lot because I loved Arsene Wenger. I just loved the guy. And that just made it more painful because the way that the fan base so much of the fan base turned against him, I found like sickening. And I'll always remember the last time I, one of the last times I went, it was Wenger announced on the Friday that he was going. And on the Sunday, Arsenal were playing, I think it was either West Ham or Burnley. I think it was West Ham. And I remember just thinking at some stage at the beginning of the match, he's going to walk just before kickoff. He's going to walk down the tunnel. And I just thought, what's going to happen? Like, I hope that there's going to be a massive rapturous applause from him because even the people who wanted him to go, he's going now. So, and nobody paid the slightest bit of attention. People were looking at their phones, taking selfies, talking about their mortgages. Nobody even noticed that man who, whatever people thought of him, had done so much for the club. Yeah. Nobody gave him any even attention as he appeared. Because why would they? They weren't there, you know, for that. And so that kind of broke it for me. And I just thought, I've got to go to Celtic. I've just got to go up there. It's like I should have done it years ago. And I actually watched a video, I don't know if you know him, uh, from the fan media world, Sogden. And I saw... Yeah, I, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. And I saw him and go dad. up. Yeah, and I saw yeah. him go up to Celtic Park, and him go to Celtic Social Club and all that, and not come out with his nose splattered all over his face, despite my previous fears that anyone, <laughs> you know, no. any anyone from south of the border would sort of get. And I just thought, well, if he's going, I'm going. I don't know if this is a uniquely Celtic thing, but I know myself. You see, whenever you're on holiday or you're away mm. somewhere and you meet someone who's not familiar with Celtic, you're always so keen to share the story of Celtic and what Celtic are and who Celtic are. And I just don't feel I really get that with other football clubs. You know, it's like Celtic fans are like, oh, you need to hear about this or you don't know about Celtic or there's this and there's that. And the Lisbon, you know, we, we're so keen to share the story and share what the fans stand for and the, the culture and all that that surrounds the club. We want to sort of bring people into that. It's a sort of more inclusive thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember well, like um, when I was about 15, 16, going on holiday, to Greek Island, like me and my dad went over there. And I remember I, I was wearing a Celtic shirt the whole holiday. And I remember this guy came up to me who had lived half his life in Glasgow, the other half his life in Greece. And he just sat me down and he was like, you know, he caught that I wasn't like from Glasgow, from Scotland and all that. And he was all interested in my, and he was like, right, let me tell you. All. And we got absolutely like splattered <laughs> all over the floor all night. There's a picture on that Axum article <laughs> of me like midway through the night. And, um, but he, yeah, he just told me so many stories and I can't tell you like how much he, you know, how proud he was and how yeah welcoming he was. It was like, you know, it's it's the arms go out. The arms came out when I held out hands and said, can someone send me a video? I got bombarded like every single time. But it was because those two guys in the Boom Six campaign, looking back now, I think they were winding me up, but they loved the fact that I was a Celtic fan. They said, don't go up there, you'll get knifed and all this sort of stuff. And I... <laughs> Uh, you know, I could have been going there all this time. I could have been going there since probably since for twenty odd years, possibly since before you went. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's ridiculous. And um, so I went up to the Hearts match uh, twenty. Um, well, it's, it's, it's February twenty twenty. You know, um, and got my mate Alan, who is a, is an Arsenal fan. And we we went up together, and um, I just remember walking there from I think Belgrove Station. Yeah, and I was just 
bricking myself. Not because I thought I was gonna get, I'd got over my I'm gonna get being up there most of it. But I just thought, what if it's not what you know, what if it's not what I hoped it was and all that? And I could see the ground in the distance and uh, all of that. And it was just everything I hoped for times like a million. And I could talk endlessly about what it means to me, but I think it's almost nicer if I say what Alan said, because he's got no cell affiliation. But he said um, two things. He said he's a season ticket holder at Arsenal and he goes to every home match. And he said he had more conversations with other fans one match at Celtic than it had, he thought, in the previous two years of every going to every home match at Arsenal. And the other thing was he just said it reminded him what football was about to go there. Yeah. Uh, and this is a man, he's my age, he's been going to Arsenal probably even to football, possibly even longer than I have. He coaches football, he coaches an actual team, but he said it took that to remind him what football was about. And I just remember the guy behind us just shouting all night at the Hearts fans, you dirty wee Tory rats. And I remember Alan <laughs> turned around to me, he said, he just looked at me, he said, you'd have come here for that alone, wouldn't you? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and holding up the scarf, Junior, never walk alone, felt like yeah. some sort of initiation, like that was the moment where everything sort of clicked into place. 5 nil win. The only thing that didn't go perfectly was <laughs> I had this idea that I'd do an Instagram story progression where I would have little clumps of I want to be adored by um, Stone Roses. Yeah, the Roses and yeah. then I would hold off the actual final chorus bit and when Edward in my fantasy inevitably scored and the fans all inevitably chanted the thing that would be the culmination Dedicated. only I could go to a 5-0 win in which Ed, an on-form Edward was playing but him not score <laughs> so that <laughs> I went everyone was like what happened to your story I was like oh don't worry about that I didn't go to plan I just, went back I just the next morning um, for a stadium tour got in an Uber Celt the driver was a Celtic fan we were like singing Rebs all the way from uh, my Airbnb to there and um, yeah it was brilliant went back again a couple of weeks later uh, St Mirren um, the last match before lockdown as it turned out 5-0 um, the guy next to me spent most of the match telling me he didn't think Rona would be a big problem. <laughs> I hope <laughs> yeah. he's doing well. 5-0. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did get an Edward goal that time. I got a Lee Griffiths hat-trick. God, that takes you, takes you back. But um, it, it's kind of really, really weird to me that I, I'm so happy I went that time. Honestly, I consider it genuinely one of the best decisions I've made in my life, not just in football and anything, to, to finally go. I'm just so glad I did it. But I also just find it so almost freaky and disturbing that you know I left that hearts match and I was like I'm gonna go every single time I can whenever I can I'm coming up here I'm having that uh vegan haggis pizza at pizza punks on the way along <laughs> and I've got it all sorted out um and then football just stops for about a year and yeah and even when it starts again so I I mean one of the most bizarre sort of things uh, I've ever last, known of any club I mean it's uh, last season was a difficult one in more ways than one, but you know, just to, so so unfortunate because as you started supporting Celtic, we seem to be on the cusp of making history. And you're like, mm -hmm. right, I'm going to going to get to witness this, and then you know, all our dreams are shattered in one. Um, you'll need to come back up for some games. We'll need to catch gotcha. up when you yeah. get back up here and, that, and, yeah. and get to get to a couple of games with you. Um, you are vegan. I'm not going to delve too long on the vegan thing. <laughs> I just want to say that you've really you've really put me on to vegan uh, Donner and vegan okay. shawarma. Yeah. I have it I have it all the time. Can't recommend Excellent. it enough. I recommend it to everyone on my Instagram. Yeah. Cannot recommend it enough. Um Would you have Vivera? Yeah, Vivera. Yeah, so, nice. so when you when you talk about it, I'm like, I need to try this. <laughs> so I tried it and you can't taste the difference and it, mm. and it's easier to cook, easier to clean, easier on the environment. No no animals are harmed. So mm. no it's uh, you you've that's that's your uh, that's the way you've turned me up. Actually, not just that. I've actually moved on to vegan sausages now, so I don't eat regular oh, sausages. Brilliant. So I've moved on to the I've moved on to the vegan sausages and the vegan shawarma and the vegan kebabs. So yeah. And on that nice note, one. I think this is a brilliant place to wrap up. I've really enjoyed that, Chaz. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Um, do the, let's do the usual. Where can people find you on social media if they want to check out their, your book? I'm assuming it's available on Amazon, but you're better telling people where they can get it and all that sort of stuff. Yep, the runner's code, yeah, available on Amazon. Uh, if you, if anyone wants to go and request it at any bookstores, they'd be doing me a big favour, but you can get it online. If not, the runner's code by Chasnuki Burden. Unfortunately, that's my name. My Twitter handle and my Instagram handle are all that Chaz. 
and Brilliant. you can hear me plug my book and talk about vegan Donna on there as if you've not had enough already. <laughs> and we'll be, we, we'll obviously retweet your account. I mean, this podcast comes out, you know, there'll be stuff in the show notes if, and I'll link to Chaz's socials and all that if you want to check it out. Uh, thanks so much, Chaz. I've been really looking forward to this. It's been long overdue. You've been listening to the podcast. You've been a big supporter of us and we're very, very appreciative of it. So it's been long overdue. We've been wanting to get you on the pod for a while. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I know all I can say again is that when I'm running, I'm always listening to 20 Minute Tims and it's like you guys have genuinely become, in all sincerity, like the soundtrack, I think, to a lot of our lives, particularly over the last sort of year when the content, I think you've upped how much content you do. And what I just want to say is, and I've always wanted to say is, is like, it's really, really hard to do irreverence in football commentary and to be actual proper fans i know lots of people who can be irreverent about football but they don't actually like football and that's how they get to be irreverent and piss takey about it but there's, there's no doubt that the three of you you know you absolutely bleed celtic and yet you manage to be really really funny about it and i don't think any of you three probably realize how rare and how brilliant that is and so thank you for entertaining us and never ever stop doing the friday phone in or at least if you ever do stop it give us at least a year's warning so we can get therapy impossible impossible I want to thank you so much for that impossible to stop the Friday phone because it's my favourite podcast it's, <laughs> it's the, my favourite one um, thank you so much Chaz and I'll speak to you soon thank you flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.